1: will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. Now, today we are going to be doing a bit of a crossover event. A bit of an intergalactic discussion. This is episode one of a three-part series, but you can only find episode one on this channel. I'm going to be working with uh, two good friends of mine, Steve and Tony Farina. Uh, to talk about Halo Jones. The 2000 AD strip went for three books in the 80s, written by Alan Moore, drawn by Ian Gibson. And what we've done is we've split the series, the whole three-volume arc, across our three shows. So this episode is covering just book one. And then, of course, Tony and Steve have got theirs booked out for books 2 and 3, completing what is often known as the uh, incomplete saga of Halo Jones. Now if you want to find out where these shows are, stick around to the end of this podcast and I shall give you links, or check in the notes um, below on your device and you will find links to those other two podcasts. But anyway, sit back, enjoy, and let's start our discussion around uh, the British comic icon that is Halo Jones. First off, one of the questions I have, and this goes to, to all of it, is when did you first come across Halo Jones? Because we're all of different ages, we're all of different sort of backgrounds, so, you know, I mean, Steve, you, you displayed a, a short video on WhatsApp to us the other day of your <laughs> wonderful quality oh, comics, God, Q, QC Comics editions, which I was like, watching it, sort which of, I forgot my hat.
2: Which I actually (laughs) forgot and I had, yes. Um, I was there on day one, uh, 1984, the original 2080 Weekly Issues, um, which I will admit to you both because you're my brothers and I love you, I had to sell when I got married. Um, But uh, I've since picked up the collected, you know, the best of 2080 monthly magazines. Scott, Mm. you must know those. Mm. picked those up. Picked the Single Collective Edition, and I recently, yeah. when we first talked about doing this show, picked up the new stunning painted colour versions. Oh, so they've
1: recoloured it, haven't they? Oh, it's
2: gorgeous. I, I, I thought have not seen that. Is that yeah.
0: I, w- I, I should, honestly I thought because
2: Gibson's art is so light, so mm-hmm. almost scratchy in place, I thought, no, colour's going to destroy it. The colour artist they picked to do it clearly loved it, clearly is a talented artist, and it does look beautiful. It's well worth picking up if you haven't. Really, really yeah. lovely. Yeah,
0: yes. when Paul and I did um Hard Boiled, that had been recolored. Mm-hmm. And that was that was that was again, like you said, Steve, it was done by somebody who cared. Yeah. yeah. So I would love to see it in color. I've never seen other than the covers, I've never seen it in color.
2: Oh, it's beautiful. I would offer to go and get it, but it's upstairs in my office and my wife's nice. asleep. So
1: No, it's but it's it's definitely uh, uh... Yeah, it's one of those I'm, I've, I've been tempted by, because, I mean, it's, um, like yourself, Tony, it's one of those I only really know in black and white, you know, sort of, uh, I know that when it was originally published in 2000 AD, I think, like, is it, the, it's basically the opening pages
2: mm-hmm.
1: of some chapters were, were coloured, but it was obviously such cheap paper and all that kind of stuff that the colouring was, was never great.
2: Colouring um, on the quality of comics ones is
1: terrible. Oh, really? Is it outside Stretch. the lines and flat and all that kind of No, no, it's just rubbish. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> they were Not rushed, only that, weren't they, they,
2: weren't they stretched the art to fit the American format as well.
1: Uh, yeah. So,
2: um, oh, we, but it's I, lovely to hand it in a little handy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I have to admit, I mean, um, I the, the, the version I've referred to for this recording is 2000D, the Ultimate Collection, the monthly that's thing that's that. Uh, <laughs> That Hachette have been doing, and that, that's a what? what yeah, it's a wonderful collection. Different picture. That's not uh, even but, Gibson.
0: No. no, mine is not. Mine's the uh, mine's um, did the digital oh. edition. It's that's the it. American Kindle edition. Yeah,
1: but that and version then, that that cover is also in the um, 2000 AD shop as well. So oh. it's a it's a nice a nice uh, modern cover. Okay, yeah. So you you came across it in the original format. Um, yeah. So so what about you, Tony? Where was your... No,
0: no. So for me, because 2000 AD, like Julian, I know, he has been scrapping 2000 AD Mm. his whole life. And um, I wasn't. Like, So for me, Halo Jones is one of those you come to when you're going down an Alan Moore rabbit hole. And um, and so for me, it was a situation of when I started the show, I want to do something... That's epic. So, mm. um what do I know? What are the things that I'm embarrassed that I knew about but didn't read? So, for me, I've only read Halo within the last year as an adult. I didn't wow. read it in the eighties. Mm. I know. I'm sorry if you guys. No, no a, that's great because that's a fresh new
2: perspective.
0: That's yeah, great.
1: yeah.
0: So for me, it was a matter of it's one of those Alan Moore books that I can't get without buying because he's mm. Alan Moore. So, like you know how he is. Um, And but because of his Swamp Thing run, his Watchmen run, Dr. and Quinch, I had to buy, of course, Mm -hmm. because, yep, I wish. Thank you. Happy to have done. So excellent book. Oh yeah, that and we love. And honestly, when Steve and I put that show out. the amount of like comic book people who were so excited. Like we got more retweets from like active working comic book writers and artists that mm-hmm. I ever have on any show other than that, because people mm-hmm. love that. So, so with Alan Moore, it was just one of those things where it's like, well, there's not a library edition that I can get my hands on. And so I just kind of waited and embarrassingly didn't read it. I could get my hands on for hell. From hell. I could get my hands on mm-hmm. all of his other league of league of extraordinary gentlemen. Um, so then it was like, well, this show, for me, my part of, the, of this, the Indie Comics Spotlight Show, is, is about trying to reach those things that are, like, the embodiment of indie comics. And so, for me, this was just sitting there on my to-read list, and I, I had a reason. So, I'm brand new, um, coming at it as a 47-year-old. So well that's like as
1: steve says it's all good because you come out with a fresh pair of eyes it's a new effective yes. i mean for me I, I mean i you know i came into 2000 ad late 80s early early 90s sort of i dabbled in it first and then so it was judge dread that pulled me in and yeah and i sort of,
0: stuck my toe in yeah in <laughs> the well, anarchist I'm- waters that's it. Well, I was raised
1: on like the Beano and Dandy, you know, these yeah. sort of fun comics, Yeah. and then all of a sudden I'm like, you know, well they're a bit I'm, they're a bit young for me now, and some you know then all of a sudden you sort of see this, you know, you meet you you meet come across Judge Dredd, and you're like, oh, oh, okay, and and so when as I was growing up, there were older. Uh, people I knew that had older brothers that sort of had read 2000 AD and they were the ones that going if you're reading that, oh, you should go back and read so-and-so. You should try and find so-and-so and, you know, all these others. And they would give me older issues. And so I'd read bits and pieces of Halo, um, but it wasn't really until the late 90s when I think I picked up a couple of sort of the collected, you know, um, when it was Fleetway yeah. that, that had uh, 2000 AD and they, they were letting out um, some of those. And I picked those up from a I think a charity shop at some point, uh, you know, in the sort of the late nineties. And uh, yeah, so I read those, I read it then. And again, they've they, like gone by, I don't know where they are now. And so i rebought it, obviously, with this. So it took me a few, it'd been a few years to read it. But as you say, Tony, it's one of those sort of Alan Moore books that everyone knows those A-list ones, you know, the sort of like your Watchmen from swamping. Hell and Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm and they're better. all great. Exactly, yeah. And they're all great, and I love them. However, there's this sort of like you know if you're in the know, <laughs> you know you G- go and you read this. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in that group to me is Halo Jones, Miracle Man. Oh yes. Uh, you know those books where you go no no that and Miracle Man in particular is, is a real favourite of mine. Um, and again, the other one maybe one day we'll get to is like his Future Shocks as well. Like oh, one of the, big and
2: kind of the Time yeah. Twisters, yeah, brilliant. Yeah,
1: so brilliant yeah so to me like Halo's always just been one of those comics a sort of a classic of 2000 ad um but also uh and steve i don't know how you know what your thoughts on this are but it's one of those books that when, when i got into university and in, you know when i was doing my a levels and stuff and <clears throat> i did psychology and sociology it was one of those Books that sort of got yes. referenced. People who, again, in the know, would be like, "Well, if you want to know sort of like people's opinion on Thatcher in the eighties and youth culture and stuff, here's a couple of comics to refer to." And Halo Jones is always in that in that reference pool. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's just it's just sort of been the, the sort of secondary zeitgeist for me.
2: With my female students who were interested in getting comics, but are put off by people in tights beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> this is the kind of book I had and say, listen, read this. And honestly, nine times out of 10, it's worked. Mm. So it's just, it's just that before it's time in every single way, but, but we'll come to that when we talk about it. But
1: yeah.
2: like I said, I did sadly sell my originals, but what I didn't sell and I still have is my mm. issues one to a hundred of 2000 AD from 1977 wow. to 19, the. Fifty, so two years—the first two years' worth—and
0: mm-hmm. I managed
2: to get the first uh, Judge Dredd story Brian Bolland ever drew signed by Brian Bolland. As well.
0: <gasps> wow!
2: <laughs> so,
0: so, nice. so, Steve could own us, is what we understand, if he chose to sell I'm that. Just, you could um, buy and sell us. <laughs> yeah. About
2: that. <about>,
1: <laughs> well, but,
2: do you know what? Um, people are saying that I should sell the quality comics ones. They're awful, but apparently they're really sought after.
1: They are. Because I I've got a couple of uh, when they because quality comics obviously was Fleetway's a way of getting into American the market, industry, market yeah, yeah, and yeah. they re-released uh, a load of stuff like there's a load of like Rogue, nearly all of it, Slow, yeah, 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 two thousand AD Nemesis, yeah. Um, so and and I know that they but they basically I think the thing was because they were so shoddy in their reproductions that nobody kept them, yeah. so they've all been binned off and stuff. So they're actually. There's a couple of issues that come up quite a lot, but there's a lot that, like, yeah, they're quite rare. They're quite really? rare. I've got an so yeah, it's a good collection to have. Well, not, to read, yeah. <laughs> not to That's read, yeah, not like yeah, to read from. Yeah, go to other editions, they're much nicer. Um, uh, editions, but uh, yes, they are they are worth they are sought after
0: for me. The digital edition of this, and I know I'm in the minority as. And I love a good comic. And Mm. like, I, I, you know, I love to get them in uh, the section 12 stuff that I've been reading from Lenovation's press. He's been sending me the physical copies and they're so bright and gorgeous and on the thick, what we called in America, we called it Baxter paper in the 80s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, so I love that. But the thing that I like about a digital comic and what I like about the 2000 AD digital stuff the dread stuff that i've read and the halo stuff and dr and Quinch is that by by putting it digitally i'm allowed to i can zoom in i can go in comics mode and and because like you said earlier steve some of it is kind of dirty and it was all dirty it was all so quick i watched that movie scott that you recommended about 2000 ad the documentary yeah and how quickly they were just Pat's like, put shit, out, put shit out, put shit yeah, out, put shit out. Yeah. So some of the quality of the art, what, I mean, the fact that Ian Gibson did this week to week is bananas to me. So of course, mm. some of it isn't going to be the best. So for me, the digital, being able to like turn my iPad, and I've got a big iPad, turn it sideways and do comics view, and I can get like one panel. So I feel like I, I have that opportunity to really like appreciate the shit that's going on in the background. While I would love to see those quality comics, no matter how crappy they are, Scott, I would love <laughs> to touch them. Um, mm. I feel like I have a, this is my reading experience. And I think, um, you know, I appreciate that. Because again, going back to Hard Boiled, it's the same thing. Reading Hard Boiled originally as a comic yeah. and from Dark Horse and then reading it digitally later, you're like, mm. holy shit, the stuff that I missed. So I'm curious as we have our conversation this evening, how much stuff I'm seeing in the background by zooming in on that digital stuff that maybe never... We've missed. Yet. Yeah. yeah, And I don't know if it's good or bad. I mean... Um,
2: Definitely interesting.
1: Yeah, is, yeah. It'll
0: be, it'll be part of the conversation for sure, and I just wanted to preface that because I'm coming at it from that perspective of someone who's seeing, you know, essentially, as you said, the fact, Steve, that you have all those original, <laughs> the first 100, um, 2000 ADs, those were just like shitty papers. So the fact that you mm-hmm. still have them... I don't know how well they've held up. They were made to be disposable, right?
2: Um, They're actually not bad because, again, um, I picked them up when I was uh, 77 or 7, 8 years old. And most of my comics from that period, particularly my superhero ones, I've drawn all over them, written this comic belongs to Steve Ray on them, (laughs) drawn mustaches on some characters. (laughs) But for some reason, the 2000 ADs are largely immaculate. I mean, The free gifts have gone the way of the dodo. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. The the little masks and the badges and stuff that you got. uh, I think it was a spinner or something. Spinner, yeah. Yeah. But the comics, um, I pulled them out. When did I last pull them out? About a year ago. Uh, Pretty okay. Pretty okay. Um, So that's blind luck. Because I think I read them. And because they weren't... Stuff I'd read again. I mean, because from that era, the stuff I've worn out to pieces and people are wanting to kill me about it is all my old uh, Captain Britons mm. and all my old Warriors and stuff like that. Those are destroyed because I read them yeah. to death. But luckily, my 2000 ADs, not bad.
1: Excellent. Nice. Right, so we we've, we've circled around it. Let's get stuck in. Let's get onto yeah. the. Let's get onto the hoop show. Let's sort of.
0: Uh... The, right. That's we start on the hoop.
1: We do indeed. So, also, I going to say I'll give you a plot. Because, really, the the plot's relatively simple in the, fir- the first one, at least. Uh, it follows Halo Jones uh, and her uh, roommates. And um, the life on the hoop, which is a, a, a construction off the coast of America, off the coast of New York. Manhattan
0: um, Island in particular. Yeah.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where the... Unemployed and poor are located, and they live off a credit card given by the government. Um, and mam mis- card, ka- mam card, that's it. And then on this occasion, uh, Halo and her one of her housemates, rodice have to go off on a shopping trip. Which <laughs> oh my god! They have to go grocery. It's just shopping. like
2: going to Croydon.
1: Yeah, they have to go grocery shopping, which turns out to be a more life-changing adventure than me popping to the local, ch- you know, the local co-op ever will.
0: But that's it, and that—that's literally the whole the f- story. That's all of Volume One. Yeah, yeah, it's bananas. It—it's it, uh, uh, great. But I, yeah, it's, I look, I, it's, yeah, it's world building. It's—it's it's what we. Alan Moore is one of those guys that you hate or you love or both at mm-hmm. the same time. Like you—you you build a voodoo doll of Alan Moore and you stab <laughs> it, and then you're like, "I'm sorry," and you take the needle <laughs> out and you hug it and give it a kiss. And that's what I felt reading volume one of Halo Jones. It's like he gives us, Scott, the simplest story but the layers, the layer of layer of layer of everything that's there. And and a Halo's what, 15, 16 when we uh, first eight, meet her? She
2: turns 18 on the Clara Pandy, doesn't she? So she yeah, yes. She 17. 17,
0: yeah. 17, 17 then years then, yeah. old. So you've yeah. got the 17-year-old orphan living with her friends and and it, it it's one of those things where you're like on its surface you're like why the fuck would I want to read that but then you're like oh I can't stop reading it what are yeah. you doing and so I'm curious Steve because you read it in real time and I'm reading it as an adult so I'll be frank right off the top and again if you guys need to kick me off the show at any time for saying this hmm. I found volume one a bit again just like my feelings about Alan Moore painful like I loved it and I hated it at the to same be time fair, like I, Tony, Tony so did Pat Mills did <laughs> he? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah.
1: His,
0: his feedback was
1: this isn't gonna sell. <laughs> and yeah, how so long was that's he? What, yeah, and so the, the, the future editions were influenced by that. But uh I didn't yeah. not know that.
0: Okay. No, yeah.
2: Reading and, it firsthand, mm, Tony, because you're more closer to my age.
0: Yeah, I'm for, Put yeah,
2: yourself I'm in that the eighties mindset and I, picture the distant drummers as the first people who had Walkman.
0: Mm. I don't know if you
2: guys remember the original Terminator movie and the girl who lived with her headphones on. Yes. That's what it was like in the 80s with anyone who had. There you go. Those those things literally, Mm. even though we've got MP3s and instant gratification and music you can get from the web whenever you like now, if you had a Walkman and 10 or 20 cassettes, you lived in those things. So I literally just saw Alan Moore just getting the 80s and throwing darts at it. And saying listen yeah. this is what's going to happen to us starting with the walkman it's going up with music being piped into our brains and honestly <laughs> <laughs> i think it was quite well, prophetic
1: yeah well again it's again you know the the things that you're looking at i mean the, you know the the, the drummers is, is one thing but even not the hoop i mean like he's clearly looking yeah. around at like council estates and going you know and yes he set it in america because that's sort of the distance this exoticism of it all but It's clearly going like, no, this is a future council estate. We are, we won't even want them on land anymore. We are going to push them out to sea, So we have nothing to do with them. And I love the fact that later in the story, you say about world building, like things that crop up that, you know, the the residents of Manhattan, like they despise the people from the hoop. Like if you step foot on, on land, like you better have a good reason to be there (laughs) sort of thing. Um, and I, I just love all these. like you say, it's, like you say, throwing darts in the eighties, and things keep coming up throughout this. Um, but even the police—I mean, we'll get to it all in detail. But like, it's clear how angry Alan Moore was. Yes. In the eighties, and, and like you say, although this is a bit of a slog at times, this first volume, in, in some ways, so it is. No, but it, it is good. But I, I think there, I think <laughs> there are because it's short chapters. yeah. 'Cause they're eight pages, aren't they? Like six to eight pages. So so you do sort of like whiz through it. It's ten chapters, bangs through it. But there's a couple, and I think this is a curse of two thousand AD though, of it's the Stan Lee thing, isn't it? Every issue is going to be someone's first issue. Mm-hmm. So you get to a piece where you in the first page of like one of the one of the next chapters is going to be, just so you know, here's, here's what happened what in the happens. last one. So there's a bit of that in this first one, and I think Alan Moore's storytelling you see it just grow yeah. and develop throughout yes. this book and as you do with all his books. But um, yeah, I, I just think like you say, throwing darts in the eighties is so what this book is um, to be a teenager, but to have a beardy yeah. bloke <laughs> doing it is so bizarre.
2: It's not just that. Do you not find the whole book prophetic? I mean, the whole thing about the hoop, which really blind reading it now as an adult is now I see, well, hang on. It's tethered off the coast of Manhattan. They have to open it regularly for giant tidal waves to pass through Mm -hmm. it. Did Alan already see global warming and the sea levels rising and everything else that goes with it? I mean, this guy, he's like he... His V for Vendetta is is so prophetic as well. It's like he had his eye on the future thinking, this is what we're going to do if we don't wake up and start smelling the coffee pretty damn soon.
1: Well, no, I think you're right because, I mean, the, the... the two of the things that really jump out of me in this book is the glorification of fame. Yeah, you know they've got the band so they, culture. Yep. Yeah, so already there's you know they've got the band I can't remember what they're called now, but you know she she plays the weird Ice sort 10. of instrument. Ice Ice yes, 10. that's it. I said Missing Planet Boy.
0: Ice Nine and, is from uh, Cat's Cradle.
1: Yeah, and yeah, so they, yeah. And yeah. And they keep saying to her, like, "Look, this is your way out. Like, get famous, get out, get signed." Like. You get off the hoop. This is a way out. And, you know, you see that in, in this, of this sort of like, you know, be discovered. It's a way out of, of these things. And um, that's the dream, isn't it? That, again, was the sort of like, you know, this 80s, um, not just the American dream, but the, it was the dream, wasn't it, to be discovered, whether you'd be an actor or a singer or a model. And, you, you know, you could see this group now would turn up on like, you know, the X Factor or, you know, one of those other sort of Britain's Got Talent. Um, and it's you know so you've got that sort of element as well, but the other one thing that sort of is is less of a, it's less prominent, but I think it comes up, is this thing about aliens, yeah, in immigration, that the hoop is it loaded means. with these these you know these, these different types of aliens. especially And I love the design. Ian Gibson's art is fantastic. These aliens have got legs but no arms. Yeah, they're armless. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Totally they don't armless. make it. But there's nothing there's none of them on the mainland. So again. Well,
0: in America, too, remember, well, or or maybe you don't remember because you weren't forced <laughs> to learn this bullshit. So off America, like everything everybody knows off Manhattan Island is Liberty Island. Yes. Yes. But also there's Ellis Island, yes, which is where it. the immigrants came. Mm. Right. So so when people came to America, they were literally shipped to an island where they, and I've been on Ellis Island and, and it is a, just a rock, literally like in the Hudson River. And and you would they'd be their date, they would just stand all day and their their lives would change, their names would change. Like if you were if your name was too Polish sounding, like I used to work with a guy whose last name was Pierce, and he was like, Yeah, no, it was like Przezinski was his real last name, but it was his grandpa's last name, but like his great grandpa came. They were like forced into Pierce. That was your name. Do you want to move? Do you want to be left off this island? Do you want to get back on this boat and go back mm. to Europe? Then we're gonna change your name. So, so uh, to, to me, the hoop being where it is is reminiscent of that. And that we're we're gonna stop you. Like you can see America's right there.
1: <laughs> yeah. But
0: we're not gonna let you in. And that's also what I love about it is it's also where we're gonna spend are Americans that we don't care for either. We would, if one of these other boats or in this case ships wants to take them away, which is of course what happens to halo by all means, you're feel free to take the riffraff. So I found that like an interesting commentary. And I love the way he looks at that. And that's what I loved about dread. I love about dread too, is that that outside look at America, we don't look at ourselves this critically like we should. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. That was how I read it is it's like Alice Island the hoop, whatever it's, we're going to let you get tantalizingly close, but we're not letting you in.
1: Well, it is, it becomes like a holding place. I mean, that's literally what it is, isn't it? It's for both those that are pushed out and those that aren't allowed in. It's, it's a, it's almost like a halfway house that you're never going to get out of. I mean, That's why it's a circle, you know, that's, that's what it's designed to be a circle, both, I suppose, symbolically and I suppose sort of practically is, yeah, you can just keep walking around it and around it. And that you are never, well, you know, you probably wouldn't want to from looking at this or the stuff that goes on, but that's the point, isn't it? Like, you, you, it's endless, it's endless, it's a loop, you never get off it. Um, and when they do literally go outside, to, to to you know they go on the surface of it, which is a yeah. great. I I do like it's that a bit. Hilarious is is the fact that like yeah, but like Rod, you know Roddy's response is like I just don't, I don't like being outside. But it's more than agrophobia, like because there's there's large spaces inside the hoop. It's lit, a literal fear of being outside the hoop. Leaving the hoop terrifies her. She's She'd become so. Lockdown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it is, isn't it? It's, it not only does it sort of when you stop it institutionalizes you, doesn't it? Yes. This becomes a literal prison. Um, and and I find that really interesting that they then start to find entertainment because one of my, I'm just looking at one of the pictures. It's uh in um, uh, chapter four. No, it's the end of chapter three. They just escape it. The Clara Pandy's is about to be as has arrived, and there's this glorification of anything exotic. Yes. And it's coming to being dismantled. And then they say, but they're going to let it go off again. And then so they, they say, what is it? Um, uh, data daddy, supplementary, news splash. Uh, it's Swifty Frisco. Get this. Despite earlier denials, uh, Alki Baron Lux Rothchop, sure, we'll talk about him more, <laughs> has placed a bid for the ESS uh, Clara Pandy. The demolition has been cancelled. And they've all circled them because they've all turned up to have a riot because the Clara Pandy was going to be destroyed. And then they're like, oh, no. And you get, they're like, what? Well, now they're going to riot because, because it's being it saved. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, the, the, again, like they're, they're just like there to riot. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the fact that these people are like, well, we've turned up to have a fight. So whatever happens, we're having a fight. No matter and, what. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and uh, again, it's not you say about it being prophetic, Steve. It's again, it is exactly totally. that. It was, it, it's, it's, it's so painful.
2: real. It's the most it's real, something. unreal sci-fi you'll ever read, and that's yes. what I love about it. It's fantastic.
0: But that's the thing with Alan Moore. Again, that you want to hug him and you want to stab him and then you want to take the <laughs> knife out and tell him you're sorry. Is that? Is that he gives you everything about him? Is everybody's flawed? He he makes you like v V's a monster oh you're like i I get you i'm with you man i'm i get you and with this nobody's super likable at all but you're like all right you know know, because she's so in this first volume by the end you're totally in love with her but in volume one she's just like
1: She's a, it's a shiftless teen, isn't she? That she is. Point. She's
0: just she's, shiftless. She's
1: she's, a, she's, she's probably what yeah. I
2: was when I read it. That's probably exactly why I yeah.
1: <laughs> well, she is, but I say, but she's a protagonist, but without being proactive. Like yeah. right. one of the key things, especially I'd say about the first two volumes. No, the first volume in particular is there's no driver, there's no hero. Like she does things, but it's not until the very end of the book when um is it Brina um Brina yeah, Brina, Brina is, is murdered that she's a bit like do you know what fuck this I'm off I'm done it takes I mean what I find interesting is that like say you know it's it's great that she gets to that point because you go on that journey but you watch her go through life on the hoop and you are constantly going like what are you doing? Why and it takes all these events for her to be going, well, maybe I should, mm, I don't know, it sounds hard. And then when uh, Brynett it is killed... Hard. Yeah, that, uh, that's, and, that's and point,
2: it hard. And when Lucy joins the drummers as well. Because when she yeah. realises that the one person who could get away, who had a legitimate Listen. escape route, throws it away, she thought, well, bugger that for a game of soldiers. I'm not doing that. I'm getting out of here.
1: Exactly. It takes like, some serious events for her to get any... Uh, um, agency to actually do anything with her life like the, the thing i find you know interesting about this book and i'm pretty sure this is what pat mills would have got annoyed about is you know it, it has no agency like things happen chapter to chapter and i enjoy the read and there's some sections in this first volume i really enjoy that i just find funny um but she has no real agency you're not going towards anything like she's literally going to the shops <laughs> to get some stuff and then coming back um, it's not really until the second volume that she starts to develop an agency and, and you know that sort of thing. Um and that's why I sort of think it's it's interesting that this thing about the ballad of Halo Jones. This first issue, this first volume is almost like if this was a biopic, you know, if you were to do the bi- biography of Halo Jones, and obviously we don't know the rest of her life beyond book three. This would be 10 minutes at the beginning.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, this isn't even act one. If this is a mm. that's what, it, you've said it perfectly. As a three-act structure, because that's all we get, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah,
1: This would be nine books,
0: I believe, wasn't it? The original yeah. intention. Nine, yeah. So mm. we only get a three-act structure. I'm with you. Like, this is a, pr- like, people would walk out of the movies and they'd be like, no, no, wait, it's going to be okay. And this is the thing, Steve, you mentioned. You were a teenager when you were reading this. So mm. I think this is so... He's capturing that, which is, you know, she annoys the fuck out of me. But it's like, but having raised four daughters who are now all adults, it's like I get like they would love this because this is like I feel put up put upon. The shit keeps happening to me. So while the first act is kind of slow and a slog, it's totally worth the trip because We remember, Steve, and I would love to hear reading this as a teenager, you felt put upon, right?
2: Oh, yeah, as a teenager, definitely. But I disagree that this is slow and meandering. I think it's Mm. fascinating and it draws me. I mean, even reading it now for the hundredth time, it drew me in because of just how sorry I felt for these people because they were literally um, thrown away and discarded. And living in London when you go up to places like covent garden or the strand and you see affluence you see trafalgar mm. square you see the museums and you see people in sleeping bags on the street i just thought oh shit this is a bit too real yeah so for me the the i just see the familiarity of of book 1
1: it's relatable i yeah. i totally agree with that there's a relatability in this that i think um You know, which is totally what Alan Moore was going for. You're supposed to relate to Halo. And as I sort of, again, reading this when I first did, when I read them as books in that late 90s, you know, that's me in my sort of late teens. Uh, I've been about the same age, 17, 18, really, when I'm reading this. I like, and I do like the first volume. I do. But I'm saying, like, if you, because this is supposed to be the ballad of Halo Jones. Like, you know, and the the ballad, and they say, what is it? Say? If you're going to write a story, it's the most important thing that's happened to your characters. It's it really it's sort of like this captures a couple of events, but it's, they don't happen until like issue seven or you know like vol you know uh you know uh, episode seven. Um, but like you said, the rest of the book, the reason I like it is because of the world building, because of the ideas that have been thrown at me left, right, and centre. You know there's stuff this is this is hard sci-fi in a sort of a really yeah British interesting way but if I was writing a biopic if I had to make this a film, this is 10 minutes at the beginning like if this was a this was a, a lifetime documentary about Halo Jones it's Halo Jones spent her life on the hoop you know her young life on the hoop she left after you know housemate a Brianna, murder. after yeah. a tragic murder and there her life begins that's that's what this volume is now we get an extra bit of it. But I you know, and I do enjoy it. Like, you know, you the world building. The one thing I would say though, is is, to your point there, Steve, and I'm not I'm never ever gonna say that I'm questioning Alan Moore or that I think he's wrong. (laughs) But one of the things I feel is missing a little bit from this is that contrast. So we get the full life on the hoop. But I would love to have seen, she, you know, she gets to Manhattan and here's that affluence that's sort of like within throwing distance. So, cause it's so dark and she gets to the Clara Pandy, which is supposed to represent it in, in some sort of way. But you never see the rich people's life or you never see how the other, the other half live um, until book two, really. Um, and so I, I always think that whenever when I've read volume, reading, well, reading book one this time, I was like, oh, I'd love to have seen just that other side of, What's in America that's just been well, really that's the really- whole
2: point of book two to show that contrast. Book one is well, this is how life and what she came from, mm. and this is what she was missing. So, I think that's the whole purpose of it, but also plus the fact if you look at all the seeds that are sown in something that comes out of Swift Swifty Frisco's mouth or um, what's playing on a newscast in the background that they mention the Tarantula Nebula, Lux Roth Chop, um, even I think. Rat wars mentioned somewhere at a point, and it's all little things that are building and building and building and building Mm. to what happens in book three. And, like you said, if they were making a documentary of a life, and that's hilarious because book two starts with this professor, yes,
1: that's (laughs) (laughs) uh, that's that's what made me. me It's the
2: best recap in the history of comics, I think it's genius, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, you're right, and and I think you know Alan Moore's um, Alan Moore's sort of seed dropping is good because I think you're right that the, the um, rat 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 war comes in book two, uh, yeah. and uh, even then you're like what, and you're sort of suggesting that there's something bigger, and I love I love the payoff, and we'll get to that when it, we get to
2: point. It's really like one little chapter, and then yeah. boom, it's like one of the most important things ever. Yeah. And the scary shit about that is, oh no, she we'll talk about that when we get to book two. Yeah, we'll talk about. But that you're right. But you're I right. Like it's
1: you say, the news, the news stuff, and like, you know, the background, the, which again, tapping into this idea of twenty-four hours
2: This is eighty-four. Yeah. And yeah. people rave right about Frank Miller and the Dark Knight Returns, and how rather than have the captions and the meanwhiles and this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. he used the TV. Alan Moore did that before him in Halo Jones. So. He did. Yeah. <laughs> innovation. Yeah. I was
0: curious what you guys thought towards the end of of book one as we're getting ready to make that transition when it jarred just a little at first and then I was like, I'm glad he did this. He switches to a first person narrator at the end of book one before Halo leaves. It's the first time we actually hear her as the narrator. That jarred to me the first read and the second (sighs) read. This is also one of those books that needs many that like when you're done with it, you're like, was that the best thing I've ever read or did I hate it? I should probably go read it again. Like Mm -hmm. it was one of those for me the first time through. So that, that just as somebody who's always thinking kind of about narrative structure and Alan Moore doesn't give a fuck. So he all of a sudden has her, has her talking in first person. What did you guys think of that? Was that jarring for you or on this reread? Did you get the second time through? I'm like, okay. The first time through, I'm like, wait, what? what is this?
2: It's going to Scott's point where she has no direction. Mm. She's literally living vicariously through Rich Brynner in Rich Brynner's apartment <laughs> and through Odise, who's a big, tough, macho, um, don't get in my way kind of girl with the Zenades and the sput sticks and everything else. <laughs> and it's then also through Ludi and playing her music and thinking, oh, this girl can get out. Oh, I love her. She, she's my hero. She can do this. And then she realizes, well, fuck this it's down to me and that's when the switch happens that's when she stops living via her friends and her roommates and thinking i've got to do this for myself and i actually think that's genius i actually think it's really clever
1: i agree and it's because it's it's it comes at a really interesting time as well because it sort of comes it's a post they've done everything it comes i'm I'm looking at it, it happens in episode seven is the Mm -hmm. switch and everything's happened that they've they've been successfully shopping and they're on their way home. And it's her reflection on the things that have happened. And as you say, Steve, it's, it's a real, it's a narrative shift because it's also, and it's that thing of agency, isn't it? Like you say, she's gone through all this stuff. And I love the fact that like, although she is the title character of the people she lives with, actually she's at the bottom of the pile. (laughs) Really,
0: absolutely, and, it,
1: and it's this story, as you say, sort of like, but it's this episode seven where she sat on the the, the travel home writing this stuff, and you realise actually how switched on she is. Like she gets people, like she's you know, there's the a great comment where she's like, well, Rodis is asleep, but when she wakes up, she'll claim she never was. <laughs> yeah, and that dribble, so right. and, and the fact that she's dribbled down, is she'll blame on somebody else. Like and that's exactly what happens, <laughs> and so you you clock onto the fact that well, actually, Halo's so smart yeah she's smart like you know and it's it tells you that that, that cha- this chapter in particular tells me then this is the this is the halo that we're going to start to know yeah, uh, and sense. so the, it's like world building up to that point and then halo jones comes into room of, of that point and it because this that seven is the one where it all really changes um because it's, it's almost like an epilogue in like a weird way like seven eight it is seven yeah. eight nine and ten it's like four ish four episodes almost like a weird epilogue Of going well, you had this weird adventure going shopping, but here's the real tragedy. But I'm also gonna, I'm almost gonna have it as an add-on. Like any other writer would have had the the event of Brina would have been murdered in episode two Two or three, three. and then the book would have been her dealing with the grief and then eventually leaving the hoop. But this is where you've got like all the fun tragedy. I'm off, (laughs) and it's like this split second decision where she's like. And I love the the the, the final scene is where, like you say, you see the the carnage in the apartment and it's the, you know, you just go, fuck, like something's Mm. gone down at this point. This is where it changes pace for me. Um, And I love it. It's it's the the, the end. I I like the end of this book, book
0: one, more than the start. I would say. I agree. I I do too. Mm.
2: Um, I'll be the dissenting voice. I love it all. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, that's you yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. to say I hate the rest, but I think I yeah. prefer that the, the, it, it switches up a gear. But and, and again, this comes down to the the the, um, the talent that is Ian Gibson as oh, well. Like not to mention me. because the, the the moment that um, Luddy comes in mm-hmm. and they've sort of the way it's drawn because uh, uh, again his his art gets more real through the books as the oh, story gets more real.
2: Um, Real growth in his talent, absolutely. Yeah,
1: but that that reveal of Luddy when she's she's given up is That's hard, A, for... and it's yeah.
0: actually called when the music's over. So yeah. You're yeah. like, ah, oh, fuck.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And and this is where, and again, like, and it's thrown in. This is where Luddy throws it into halo's face like you know i've got it here she's this is luddy speaking she's yeah but maybe i don't want to get killed in a side artery just you know just to make you proud of me i'm sick of living up to your escape fantasies halo i don't listen i don't want to listen to you anymore like unfortunately she's given up but she recognizes that she you know that halo's been living vicariously through her and it's this final stab isn't it of like basically someone saying go live your own life yeah go do it Um, you
0: know. Well, But that's just it. Is that I? I don't. I don't feel that Ludi's choice. It's the choice that made sense for her, and and I think so. Halo's choice at the end of Volume One to leave. Mm. It's it it it, it's equivalent. It's yeah. We they're both giving up on the hoop. It's Mm -hmm. just that it's just that Ludi's going to stay there and be safe. There's a reason that in my country, and I don't know what happens there people join gangs because they're sa- not because they're killers or they're bad people. And that always drives me crazy. It's because there's safety in the gang. The gang yeah. keeps, keeps you protected. It's like, well, my mom, I got to help take care of my mom or I got to help take care of my little brother or whatever. So I'm going to join this gang because now I've got protection. So now I can walk the streets and not, and my brother can walk the streets and my sister and my mom, and I'm not stressed out. So to me, Ludi was just like, this is her way out. And it's mm. it's just the same as Halo getting on the ship. It's like we, their lives suck so much, and I think that's <laughs> what Moore is saying: is the hoop is yeah. so terrible, which is why it had to be what it was as a builder mm. It had to annoy me a little because it's supposed to. I want to leave too. That's yeah, good writing. Exactly, Moore makes me hate the hoop. I don't want to yeah. spend it. I'm done. Let's go. Yeah. It's I'm one ready.
1: of those things. Yeah, it's one of those things that I think you know. Uh, in some sci-fi, you have aspirational sci-fi, you know, you get those dystopias where you go, oh, I'd love to go, I'd love to live there, this sort of, you know, whatever, whether it be sort of a utopia or just, but yeah, but I think, again, though, but this comes to what 2000 AD was about, you know, I mean, like, this stands up next to Dread and showing you Megacity oh, 1, yes, where you go, like, you know, you go, look at this, all the action, all the cool stuff's going on, I don't want to go there, though, because it's M-R. terrifying. It um is. And even in this, I mean, even the police in this. I the one thing I want to say about the police, the Rumble <Sacks>. sort of, yeah, the rumblejacks that come in at the end, and uh, you know, this is more really having a go at, at Thatcher's um, authoritarian police of basically saying, yeah, these guys have now got chips in their head and they've had all their emotions removed. Former from.
2: criminals, meet, some of them.
1: Former criminals, yeah,
2: that <laughs> been wiped.
1: Yeah, and you meet one guy who isn't. Yeah, but he's still. And he's a volunteer. Yeah, and and that, and that's where and but they set him up to almost be like yeah. sympathetic, but then you realise like he's a volunteer, so he's choosing to do yeah. this of his own volition. And as you say, nothing as you do this world building, nothing is aspirational in this place. Yeah. Like, Not nothing um, until you get to the very, very end when they do show you the escape and you get the Clara Pandy, and it's this sort of like bastion of beauty and 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 sort of like you know lavish living and. I love the fact how he's written the sort of tech guy that you sort of have to oh, read his speech brilliant. bubbles. You have to read his speech bubbles I know three that or guy. four times. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, so before was we just to finish off book one, really, the ending of book one, you know, um, we've had, the, the, the one thing is that you've had, Rodice has been sort of, you know, she's been the tough one. And this sort of shows her up to be the fact that it's all a sh- charade it's all bullshit 100%, <laughs>
0: totally. yeah
1: but wh- what are your thoughts then on that that sort of like you know this this l- final thing of halo just g- grabbing life by the balls and making a decision to to go off uh on the Clara Pandy? real
2: it's like oh finally thank god she's decided to make a choice and, and do something because that was the thing it's like you said that it was frustrating, but being of that age, actually a few years younger, cause I was like 14, 84 mm. and she was like 17, 18. I thought like, yeah. Um, nah, the, the only person who's going to live your life is you. to so live it. And it's something that stuck with me. Mm. Um, hence to the point that I'm a 50 year old man recording podcasts about comics with my mates.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Living
2: the dream. Exactly. Damn straight. So you guys yeah. are
0: staying up late for this too. It's like, almost yeah. seven where i am and it's almost midnight where you are so yeah. that says everything we need to know about your commitment to this to me scott I should be and- committed
2: you're quite right, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to me scott the the thing that i liked about it is i was a I, in america they call them straight edge kids and and i'm not like i wasn't religious or anything but like straight edge kids are I said it's like i didn't drink i didn't smoke i like didn't hmm. do any of that until i was like an adult and it was just a choice i made and it was hard in a little tiny shit town that I lived in everybody drank and smoked or whatever and I had friends or whatever but once I was out of there I was out of there and there's, there's like two people three from my one's a relative so you know three people from my high school with whom I'm in contact and so I could relate to Halo like wait a minute I'm just, I'm just here you are my tribe because I'm trying to survive with you mm. but now that it, there's this ship here and that's my chance so I could see like me going off to college as my moment it's like this is my time i was i was i'm gonna go i'm gonna go do this thing i'm gonna get the fuck out of here and i'm not gonna come back and i spent one summer my of my 19th birth after i turned 19 back in my hometown and i was so fucking miserable and i was like so i was like with halo and that's what i love about this is that as we transition halo doesn't come back she goes so Mm. that was my feeling is that as what an ending I'm with her. Like, I think again, it's, I hated, I didn't hate volume one. I hated slogging through volume one because I hate the hoop. What a terrible yeah. life. And it's yes. only because Gibson's such a talent and yeah. Alan Moore's writing is so good that I could hate it. I could hate it on her behalf. Yes. And so I'm with her. I'm like, I'm getting on the ship. And then when Rodice says, I'm not going to go, I'm like, of course you aren't. And I know that kid. I went to high school with that yeah. kid. We all did. You're like, mm-hmm. oh,
2: all mouth and trousers. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: exactly. Mouth and trousers. Yeah. Nice. Well said. I, th- I but, think yeah. you, you, you refer to sort of um,
1: you know college. Nothing. You know, university yeah. would be a term university for me. University is but, what it would be. Yeah. But, but um, the the thing for me, thinking about it from an eighties perspective, and the fact this is supposed to be reflective of those, you know, will you say the projects in in America and the council estates over here? It's the workforce that's yeah. that's what this is for her would be this is in, this this would be independence i think the clara Pandy represents financial independence like look you're no longer being sustained by the government you're not you know you're no longer going to be hassled by the police you've got a job you can now go off and do your thing so you know it's it's to me i was reading this it felt symbolic of that thing of like it's not getting on the ship it's become it's getting a job i'm now going to be a someone i've got a, i've got a role i've got some part to play i can now contribute and become who i i want to be um and that doesn't always work out as we sort of you know you get to learn a bit but that's that first step of saying i get to get away from this the hoop this circle i was constantly walking on just going round and around i'm taking that step and i'm, I'm going to go join the world of employment and the freedom that that can provide so it's it's such a, a well we going back to it it's just relatable this first book is so relatable and you know, from, I think both of you said sort of like, if I, I've i got a seven-year-old, she's, she's, you know, she, just turns, she turns eight later this year. But when she gets into her teens, you know, when she hits those troubled teens, the first time I'm, she starts being a knob about, you know, when she starts getting to the teenage girl, I'm like, <laughs> here's, here's Halo go. Jones. Yeah, go, go read book one of Halo Jones and then come back and tell me you have a hard life.
2: <laughs> yeah, for me, um, Halo is... One of the best everyman characters ever created. But what, what what makes me love her more than anything is, like you said, Scott, she escapes by getting this job. But how does she get it? She, like us, is an ultra nerd. Yes. I got called Bat Boy growing up, and she got this job for being an Aquabo pet yeah. and loving the dolphins <laughs> and learning their language. And damn you, girl. Let your nerd flag fly because yeah. that's what got you off the hoop. And to me, that was so honestly inspirational that I thought, mm. yeah. Because um, I was 14 already, those people saying, Oh, you're still reading comics. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I thought, Oh, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. One day <laughs> it's going to lead to something. And what are we doing now, boys?
1: exactly yeah. yeah it's your passion in life and that's what it's, it's yeah, let your let your flag fly hello jones we salute you Yep. um my hero yes. yeah. yeah so, well, so i let's, think
0: you go no no, Sorry,
1: I, was say, no I was gonna say no because i was listening. we'll move from book one we'll go to book two in a minute so if you have got a final comment before we do tony was about to say something
0: no that was just yeah. gonna say yep that was it i was just gonna say that i think that that what i appreciate about book one is that it is it's, it's like a boot camp for writers, right? If you're a writer and I'm writers, we're all writers. We all write fiction. We all write stuff. Is that sometimes I'm actually having this little crisis in this new novel I'm writing. It's, I'm on 21,000 words and I feel like the action hasn't started yet. And I was talking to my wife about it today. Like, but then I realize I need that. I need 75 pages of wind up. And then I'm going to go and that I'm building a world and and I need to quit pretending that everything. And I love Kafka. Don't get me wrong. Drop me in the middle of a story and let me go. Mm-hmm. But not everything has to be that. If mm-hmm. everything was that, mm-hmm. then Kafka wouldn't be Kafka. Right. Yes. He wouldn't be unique. I wouldn't love him because everyone would just drop me in the middle of it. Yeah. So I think what Alan Moore is doing here, volume one is and remember these three that we're covering is actually only the first act. This is supposed to be nine parts. So one, mm. two, and three is act one. We're thinking of it. At, so you're right, Scott. This is only the first 10 minutes. But act two, book two and book three are the rest of act one. That's the yes. first 45 minutes of the, of the thing. So, um, so I'm just, I, I bow down to him as a writer because he makes me despise being there, but I can't stop reading. So yes. that says everything you need to know about what Alan Moore can do.
1: Okay ladies and gentlemen, well there it is, part one, book one of our Halo Jones discussion. I really enjoyed this, it's a fantastic, uh, massive discussion. It goes on and you're going to find out more on two other wonderful podcasts, both of them appearing on the Comics in Motion uh, network. The first one is uh, Superheroes for Dummies, uh, which Steve will be bringing out his part of this episode. And the other one is uh, Indie Comics Spotlight with Tony. Links to both of those in the notes below. And they will be coming in quick succession after this show. So go and check those out. Uh, And also just go check out Comics in Motion. Wonderful bunch of guys, really good friends of mine. And uh, some fantastic content coming out of that network. So do go check that out. Uh, But if you're a fan of this show and you want to support us and all the usual things, you can find us on social media. That's at 20th Century Geek on all the social medias. If you want to email me, that's 20 geek at gmail.com. Come and have a chat. Come let me know what you think. But if you do want to give your thoughts, your opinions, well, why not send a review? Go to your podcast catcher of choice. Whatever you're using to listen to this, go to that and leave a review. One star, two star, whatever it's going to be. Hopefully a five star review. But let us know and feedback. And just share this with your friends. How about share a tweet? Share a, a, a Facebook post. Come and find us and let your friends know. But if you really want to get involved, there are ways to support the show more than that. We have a Patreon. That's right, we have a Patreon page where you can make donations or become a patron. And if you want to become a patron, uh, you will get a new monthly podcast specifically for the patrons. That's 30 Minute Thoughts, where each month I give my thoughts on a specific topic. And it's been some great discussions and topics on there, so go on and have a look. You also get uh, quarterly the Creator Corner, where I bring on a special creator to talk about what it is they're doing, how they do it, and why they love what they're doing. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I really appreciate you listening to this, and I hope you go off and listen to part two and three. Uh, But for now, thank you very much, and we'll see you on the next episode.